you have the authority of your own artist voice, right? You're the only one who can write your song. Bonnie Hayes is a singer-songwriter and educator from San Francisco, California. Her songs have been recorded by Cher, Bonnie Raitt, David Crosby, Bette Midler, and more. Her debut 1982 album, Good Clean Fun, introduced her as a pop rock goddess and propelled Bonnie into a career of writing and performing. She went on to become the chair of the songwriting department at Berklee College of Music in 2013 and recently stepped down from that position after nearly 10 years to run the Berklee Master's program. Hey! Was that all correct? Great. Yeah, just say Master's, the online Master's, because the people who are doing the on-campus masters will get cross. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Perfect. So yeah, I I know you because you were the chair of the songwriting department at Berkeley that I so eagerly <laughs> um, graduated from. I remember the first semester that you can actually declare your major. I think it was in your second semester. And like the first possible day that I could declare my major as songwriting, I was in your office it was me and another guy named Ben Higginbotham. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I just, you know, there were a lot of students that I went to school with at Berkeley that were just kind of testing the waters, figuring things out. And I just remember, like, the first day I possibly could, I was like, this is what I'm doing. Um, and went There's on to graduate. There's not that many songwriting places where you can really study, get a degree in songwriting. Yeah, it's true. Most of the, even the things, the people that say they have a degree in songwriting, it's like popular music studies, and then you learn songwriting, but mm -hmm. it's hard to get a degree in songwriting. Right. It's super in-depth and has like, it's multi-level, but yeah, like we were just talking about, you probably helped to shape that program. Do you know when the program actually first started? No, it started in like, I want to say, I mean, it had been there for 30 years. Wow. Um, it started Jack Perricone, who mm -hmm. you probably met. Yeah. He was still teaching there. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I had a class with him, actually. Yeah, you had um, mm -hmm. Survey of Popular Song Style. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, but he's a brilliant arranger, great piano player, great musician. And, and Pat started the major, and I want to say, like in the maybe the 70s or early 80s. I don't so know. So this was after Berkeley was already established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Berkeley had been roaring along as a jazz to. school. So this is one of the mm -hmm. first sort of pop kind of oriented things, but it was still pretty jazzy. I mean, popular song styles is like a jazz. It, it, he yeah. spends a lot of time on great yeah, American songs. Yeah, it goes way back. Yeah. 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 I mean, most of the students are like, when was this? Wait, what? Because you know, you're playing somewhere over the rainbow and literally, you know, the, the, the people who were in that program had been born in like 1990, right? So, you know, they're like, what, when was this again? It's like, it's like ancient history. But so they started it and um, it was, um, and, it, you know, a lot of the program is the way that it was then, the, the lyric classes, mm -hmm. the separation of of church and state separation of lyrics and music. <laughs> That's um, I made we require. I started requiring the production stuff. You I implemented this, that. I added this wow. the senior seminar. I added a bunch of the options for the advanced classes. Um, yeah. So, but most of it, like they were really of the opinion that recording was going to be a different thing from songwriting. But right now. Right. Producers take a share of the copyright. So unfortunately, I think songwriters need to produce so that they can keep the share of the yeah, copyright that yeah. they would have to give to a producer. Definitely. So. And I, I mean, at the like basic foundation level to be able to record demos and just to be able to like sit to, or even to to be able to write music like while producing, you know, that's such a big thing nowadays that not like myself I don't really do that but I have so many friends that the way that they sit down to write music is Make by opening beat. their computer yeah, yeah and like just just experimenting which is I admire so much like as a well even for writing lyrics you share a document like so mm -hmm. we had um not the main characters came to the Berkeley LA program last summer and they wrote a song the guy the producer was on stage making the beat and kind of going along with them and they wrote the song typing into a document we had the document projected 
Mm-hmm. And they were writing the lyric and, and like replacing lines and writing them and like looking at each other going, yeah, I think that's better. <laughs> like It was really fun to watch the whole thing happen, but it was all yeah. done on like a computer. It wasn't sitting in a room. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's a lot, di- the process is a lot different than it was in the 40s. <laughs> Trans in, sure. even in the 60s, before computers, mm-hmm. I mean, even yeah. in the 80s, you know, you would yeah. have to go and sit in a room and have a little recording device, you know, yeah. um, which wasn't on your phone because you didn't have a phone yet. <laughs> when did cell phones happen? It was like the early 90s, right? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I personally didn't have my first cell phone until I was in high school. Like they obviously existed, but, and I had like a little like flip flip phone so i like i'm a millennial and i still feel like i'm old like compared to these new kids like when i started writing songs it's it really is like i'm turning 30 soon and this is scary but when i started writing songs there was no like recording device yeah there was no like open you had to get a a recorder and buy one yeah Yeah, and then turn it on and have little tapes or, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So this leads us into my first question because I I know you as an educator and like as a mentor and I'm familiar with your music when, you know, when I became a part of the songwriting department at Berkeley, I, I looked into your, you know, your experience and your career as a songwriter, but I'm curious to know how you started writing songs like how old were you such a funny story how did that happen because i was i was a jazz piano player right so i came up i mean i had the wildest thing happen to me where i was i was taking like classical piano i had taken it for years and years and i didn't know anything about music theory at all Mm -hmm. like nobody ever taught me any chords i only could read right? What you put in front of me. That's a typical classical musician's experience of being given a piece of music and going, this is what you play. You don't play any notes that aren't on there. There's no interesting though, (laughs) because I I feel like, you know, so much theory. Well, what happened is somebody, but it's also so restrictive. Somebody opened the door for me, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and that's why I'm such a nut about education because I went and took piano lessons from a young rock and roller who who said don't you know i was like how are they doing this i brought like this neil young record like what is he doing and they're like oh he's just playing chords and i was like what are chords oh my god that's hilarious what's a chord yeah i didn't know and he goes okay and then he showed me how to make chords and he showed me like a blues progression like a you know like this you know that that kind of thing and then the blues <laughs> like a 12 bar blues <laughs> oh my gosh that kind of stuff so i was like i went home and l- proceeded to lose my mind i i figured <laughs> out like 20 songs by chords you know and i became a complete nut for theory you know and mm-hmm. also for me playing jazz like it had um I mean, I love playing jazz and I, I played standards a lot and I can solo. I know how to, you know, analyze the jazz chord progression. I've listened to a ton of jazz, all different kinds, but this is a box, like it's a historical form. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about soloing, which is yeah. so wanky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's just like as many notes as you can play and let's take turns and see and who's having, the best. Like, still, you know, people taking like 10, 11, 12 choruses and, you know, you're just sitting there comping the same, I don't know. It just like, I just very... want to write lyrics. <laughs> I, was, I did. Something. I was a creative writing major. And I was mm-hmm. like, how do I make this be something that I like could see doing for the rest of my life? Because at the time I was like, there's no way I can be a jazz musician. And I moved to New York. And I was like, I'm going to be a jazz piano player. And I went and started like playing jazz gigs. And you know, you make like, you play like for four hours in a basement and you make $20. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, this will not do. This yeah. is not going to work for me. And so I 
basically I went on the road. I got a really good road gig where, you know, the kind of road gig where you get on a salary and you have a roadie that moves your gear and wow. get your, you know, nice hotel rooms. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> we were opening. I know nobody. I mean, I had I've had three big time road gigs where and they are the best gig in the world except you lose your ability to do anything for yourself because you forget mm -hmm. about paying bills and doing your own wash. So, but anyway, I went on this, this tour and we were opening for Bob Seger and Bob Seger was a, is a super famous, really successful songwriter um, performer, right? At the time in the seventies, it was the late seventies. He was one of the most successful um, musicians in the, in the world. Right. And, um, now nobody's ever all the kids are like who's that <laughs> look it up but anyway he yeah. was a you know we were playing stadiums right and he would take the whole crew and our whole band and crew out to dinner and it would be like get anything you want and we'll get you know let's get 10 orders of 12 oysters you know and I'd oh be my like, goodness wait how's he doing that so he you know he said to me he goes you should you should write songs so you this know. was before you ever like I had not written a song. I was maybe years. I was in my early twenties. I didn't start writing a song. I mean, I what oh, happened wow. was I got off that tour and I I decided I didn't want to. I couldn't deal with New York. It was really cold and hard. And um, I was <laughs> and I had roads right. <laughs> so I lived on the I lived on the fourth floor uh, upstairs from Max's Kansas City, and I would have to carry my road my Fender roads up four flights. Oh of my gosh. And then, you know, you'd try, I didn't have a car, so you'd have to get a cab to carry your roads to the, I mean, it was impossible. It was not mm -hmm. doable. So I moved back to California and I started trying to write songs. I spent like a year, like just agonized, you know, attempts to write songs and, and so this was, you were in your twenties at this time. I was in my twenties. Yeah. I might've been 20. And it was with the eighties, nineties. That was early 80s, maybe late 70s. I, I think I started, I really started getting the hang of the songwriting after I'd been working on it. And I wrote, um, I wrote a bunch of songs and I got a band together. I didn't want to sing, but finally I ended up having to sing and just kind of tuned it up. And I, I finally, I wrote some, I started really thinking about what I was trying to do. Like, I, instead of just writing the song going, that's good enough. I was like, can this be like better? Is it? Can I write a song that doesn't make people want to run away? On the exit? <laughs> Being a little more intentional, <laughs> or start talking to each other because it's so boring, right? So I, I basically started realizing that you know part of this is about seducing people, um, mm -hmm. and and figuring out how to do that without like selling my soul to the devil, and that was always sort of a balance for me. And that I just wrote some songs, and suddenly all of a sudden people were like, "These are really good." I made a single myself. We made a single, me and my band. I I borrowed the money to pay for it. Wow. To the radio stations. And this was like on a CD back in the day? It was, no, it was a freaking single. A tape? It was, no, it What's was a single? single. It was vinyl. <laughs> oh and my I gosh. I took it to the radio stations and they all started playing it. And the next gig I had, we had 500 people there. And oh so, goodness. yeah, it was like I wrote a hit song and and it was the same thing I told my students to do, which is you got to make it happen. You can't get can't signed and anyone. then make something. You have to make it happen and then you'll get signed. And that's what happened to me. I got I started this this single started getting played all over the country. And I, you know, I didn't even know what was happening. But basically, then I got a record deal and I got a publishing deal. Oh, my goodness. What was, what was the song called? Shelly's boyfriend. It was okay, about my sister. Yeah. It was like the, you know, because I didn't really write love songs. I didn't want to write love songs, but it was like this like big sister song. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still like people just love. Is your sister's name actually Shelly? It's Michelle, but we called it her nickname. That's amazing. And she brought, you know, a like lizard boy home and we were all like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I, come from, I have a family. My family is like seven kids, right? So mm -hmm. there's no privacy. There's no. <laughs> There's That's no amazing. hiding. There's no everybody gets on everybody and friggin, you know, takes everything apart. It's very unprivate. It's I love it. That probably contributes to the quality of your songwriting. Like you started your journey as a songwriter by being just like brutally honest and writing <laughs> about like a very personal experience with your 
literal sister. Yeah, it was something that really happened. The 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 stories that I put in the song, which were about like cruising the boulevard, you know, and yelling at people out the window of your car, was stuff that had happened to me when I was in high school in the Central Valley of California. So that's amazing. I really like used all my real life experiences and and feelings of being, you know, kind of treated unkindly by by a boyfriend, and put them into this cautionary. Yep tale for my sister I love that yeah I definitely did that not necessarily with a cautionary tale for my sister but <laughs> a little more personal <laughs> I feel like my my first songs were definitely about all of the above high school being mistreated by boys before you knew how you main... were meant to be treated it's the theme <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean it's funny because yeah. I have so many young women that I still work with in the master's program and that's basically it's really hard to get women off of that as a theme mm -hmm. right but you you can and I did but it it took me a while yeah just gotta Stop do being. it yeah I was just deeply offended <laughs> <laughs> I love it um and so was that the first song that you ever wrote or that was oh no the first, no that like, was I had been song. writing terrible songs for a couple of years at that do you point. remember like the very first song that you ever yeah wrote? I wrote a song called Boca Raton which was about Boca Raton Florida because I read this news story about rats eating the palm trees from the inside out and then the you palm trees so would obscure. fall over and I was like that's a metaphor oh my god <laughs> and I wrote this song about how culture was eating itself I mean I was a very brainy I'm an intellectual right I was like very like metaphor for like cultural just just degradation and the way that we treat people you know <laughs> so I, I was love very, that oh my gosh yeah I was an uh an advocate early on for meant to be a writer yes well a very opinionated you know I think I think that's important to be honest in in writing I think like why why would we write if we didn't want our voices to be heard you yeah. know yeah so yeah. I think that's a positive thing I think you know for me like I never got into that thing of writing songs I mean, I did later, you know, but writing the whole thing of writing a song to somebody about how they hurt you, like, I really did never get in there and do that <laughs> like that. I didn't think that was an interesting perspective. I mean, now I sort of see it differently. But so I was writing these like I wanted to write about civilization and society. Right. And then. <laughs> But I realized nobody cares. So that was when I started writing like Shelley's boyfriend, which was sort of about that, but also about her and me. Yeah, it's kind of sad how surface level songs kind of have to be to be able to be um, relatable. Um, but Justin, like my husband, who also studied songwriting at Berkeley, is very much like a societal songwriter. Like, you know, we've been together for over seven years now and he's written like maybe two songs about me <laughs> and I feel like you know every other song that I write is about him but it's like it's interesting to see the different perspectives that writers can have and like he gravitates toward like you said like very like civilization like you know big epic metaphors like right. the future of society and like humanity um, which I love because I guess that's what he's thinking about. <laughs> and for me, it's like I want to like, you know, get down to like the minute little details of my personal experiences and like lay it out on the table. And um, that's interesting. I think, you know, we need more songwriters that are going to actually write about things that are a little more important than I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm not positive that it works, though. I, you know, like I remember hearing the Rage Against the Machine song. Um, I forget the name of it where he's like, um, you know, the the really famous one where Tom Morello is just like, you this and you that. And I, I was like, <laughs> I guess, but like, it's not that much fun, you know? Yeah. So for me, I kind of got into this thing of like, well, I really, I don't want to listen to somebody scold me. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't think anybody else does either. So I kind of got off this society. I mean, I write a lot of songs about like how weird it is, some of the stuff that we expect ourselves mm -hmm. and other people to do in this society, like the work. <laughs> yeah, work. I mean, for real though, you know, and yeah. the whole aging thing and like, 
like where you really do look and you go, why did I spend like 40 years of my life doing anything and everything just to make, you know, money and like the whole, and then try to put that into a personal story, right? Mm -hmm. So that it's not. Yeah. So it's balanced. Yeah. So Doesn't it's got like emotion in it because it is kind of frustrating to get to be my age and go, what the hell got into me? Like, why? Did, I mean, I, I'm one of the few people that I know who actually has had a ton of fun in their life, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You like, bring the fun wherever you go. That's right. I'm a, I'm a, you I'm started a out your career with some good, clean fun. <laughs> exactly. And that was, you know, part of what happened there was I was like, oh, we just want to write. We just want people to come to our shows and have a good time. No, you know, I love it. I was listening some, to some of your music today just to kind of refresh myself. And it's like, obviously it's a very generational thing. Like this must've been the eighties. Like it sounds so eighties, but to oh, yeah. me that is so nostalgic. It's like nostalgic for a decade that I didn't actually live through, but it's like that, like it's got like a punk rock and we rock were punks. Chic, we were like, total punks. Like we played all the it. punk clubs um, I love and, it. Yeah. And then when I started doing poppier songs, all the punks were like, oh, she sold out. And I was like, yep. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I like having now. 500 people at my show instead of 100. <laughs> <laughs> I sold out. That's so, hilarious. But I do, I, we were definitely in the punk scene in San Francisco and it was a great scene. Very that, lively. That was also something that drew me to you. Like I was, I'm so glad that you were the chair when I went through my like three and a half years at Berkeley because not only were you like a you know confident powerful female songwriter that I was able to look up to in this sort of deep well that I was getting myself into without sort of realizing what exactly I was getting myself into but also you're just like a badass <laughs> like it's it's so I think that's that's one of the the greatest things about like a music school is you know when you go to college or like any sort of education facility it's like the typical professor is kind of like a you know old white guy with a suit on and he's got his briefcase and he's gonna you can't see tell you all the things and yeah. yeah you can't see yourself and like going to a music school is kind of different because you have all these like really cool creative you know professional people and artists and songwriters and instrumentalists to look up to and it was just cool it was cool to be a part of that and to grow into the department and we even did a um I forget what they called it now but the toward the end of my years at Berkeley it was like a one-on-one -on -one, like songwriting mentorship yeah, directed class study. directed study and I'm very grateful that I got to do that with you um, cause I feel like I, I felt this. very special. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I guess you do one with Bonnie. <laughs> and um, you pay, I mean, what's great is you go in a room with somebody and you pay attention to them. Yeah. It's know, and take them seriously and go, let me hear what you did. And then yeah. you talk to them like they're your friend, like, yeah. like they matter and you, yeah. and it's respectful. I think, you know, it's easy to get into a thing at, in a school where I'm the teacher and you're the student yeah. and I'm and I know better to all of you and I know everything and you don't know anything. And, you know, those sessions are the point at which we become equals because we are equals because you're as good a songwriter as I am. Mm -hmm. Right. And there is <laughs> because there isn't. That. But you are because you have the authority of your own artist voice right? You're the only one who can write your song. So that's the thing. The point that I'm making is that as a teacher in, in an art form, we, we, we meet our students as equals. We have to, right? Mm -hmm. We share what we know. They share what they know and they know a lot, right? And so I, I really felt like for me, direct to study was a place where I got, where I got to do that with, with my students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciated that. And it's more of a, yeah, I, I don't know, aside from like office hours, which, you know, when I was in college, I tried to go to my professor's office hours and it never worked and they never had time and they were always busy or not there. And, some but it was a, some form of like connection, um, especially with something like songwriting. It's so personal and you know, you have to be able to put yourself out there in classes and 
you know, have your song up on the screen being critiqued. Um, you know, it's such an important part of learning is like, you know, realizing the ways in which you can do better um, from the perspective of other people. Um, but yeah, I, I just really appreciated that. There was one, there was one session that we had where I, I, I showed you wrong. I can't remember which song it was, but, um, and I can't remember exactly what you said, but I remember like, it was something so brutally honest. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you know what? I was just a little like naive, fragile songwriter and like you just like kicked it out of me and I remember like leaving that day and like crying but then after (laughs) no but but like it was necessary you know because I wouldn't want to be paying all this money and you know putting all this energy tell you everything's fine like why did you go to school for you know yeah I mean the, the the hardest thing in the world to do is to realize that your shit does stink, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I think um, for songwriters, that whole thing of putting your song up there and uh, you there's a, there's a gap between what we think we're doing and what other people think we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times people said to me, oh, your music is kind of country, right? And I'd be like, why do you say that? And they go, oh, it has guitars. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's not like, what makes country. Are you from the planet? You know, so, but but yeah. that whole thing of like, what, there's a dissonance between what, mm-hmm. like all the time with students, they would go, I go, what's this talk about? And they'd be like, well, you know, it's about this thing that happened to me when blah and blah and blah. And I'm like, why isn't that in the song? Like, you're mm-hmm. writing the shell of the thing without the thing, you know? I yeah. Can't, I can't recognize it. And I think really what feedback is for is to go, you're, you're, we're not hearing what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to say it in a way that I can hear it. Otherwise, what's the freaking point, right? Yeah. So there is a point though. There's a point to writing songs, even if nobody understands them, if it's making you happy. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's, it's like true. the reasons we write, right? And there are a lot of reasons besides I'm trying to communicate to somebody else how I feel. Yeah. And it can be so personal that ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what anyone else's opinion is, or it doesn't matter if, if the song can be better, if it's, you know, if it's it's yours and it's the way that you want to portray it. Um, But it like, I I've had some feedback from, from songwriting professors that was more on the border on the line of like unhealthy and I think what you were it it wasn't like you need to do this differently in your song it was like why are you doing this or something like a very broad statement that was more like it allowed me to kind of like go within myself and like realize some things that I was holding myself back on for no apparent reason um but yeah that's that's part of the the reason why I loved the program so much. And I also did a, um, a small class with Melissa Farrick. I'm so great. She's the best. Um, yeah, I can't, I I can't remember the names of these songs. She's one of the most inspiring teachers. Um, it's too bad. She doesn't really like teaching. (laughs) I love that about her though. That's one of my favorite parts because she just comes into class and she's like, I'm just, I'm just, just another songwriter here to like give you some, you know, but like, I'll tell you what I think it's an opinion. She's just so real. And yeah, I took a, you know, a higher level semester class with her. And I think it was just like six students or something. And we would just like have prompts, write a song every week, bring in our songs, perform them. And like, it was just such a supportive songwriter workshop. Sounds yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably. I don't know why I can't remember the names of these classes anymore. I'm like, I learned all that and then forgot it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was just, it was just so supportive and it's such a unique, a unique program to go through. And yeah, people like you and Melissa and Aaron, um, just having these like female, you know, I mean, half the badasses, I guess, to look up to because so many of the students were female you know yeah 
that it's very male dominated it was male dominated when i got there now i believe it may even be slightly tipped toward women teachers now. oh the teachers i hired before before i left i hired kat reiner uh sherry lee I hired um, this Lee, Morel- Lee Moretti, who's like a guitar player, arranger. I hired Paula Galatano. I'm not sure if you ever met. I hi- Sarah, I hired full time. I hired just a ton of, amazing. of women. Yeah. And well, they, there's and, a lot of female songwriters, I believe. Well, partly what happened at Berkeley was there were a lot of vocalists that were admitted to create parody in this gender parody in the student body, mm-hmm. because it's you know when I got there I think that it was like it was six 30, to one or something. It was thirty <laughs> percent um, women, and yeah. I believe now it's at or near fifty fifty. That's uh, which incredible. Huge, huge change, um, wow. but they did it mostly by by um, admitting more women, and so I mean more singers because most of the singers are women mm-hmm. so the it the songwriting just swelled up it's like a huge major now yeah oh my goodness well that's great to hear and i remember like i was in the first iteration of the leadership council oh the student leadership the program council, yeah. was still kind of small not small but you know like i knew most of the people that were in the program in the department yeah. um that's amazing. And I wanted to ask you as well, being a, like a music educator, what, what is, what have you learned about yourself by educating young songwriters? I mean, it was interesting. We were just talking about directed study and that mm-hmm. whole thing of like, sort of, one of the things I learned is, you know, I want to be an expert, right? Like it's a lot of teachers do. Like we want to be the ones who have the secret knowledge, the keys to the kingdom. There's this kind of ego that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. And and what, what happened to me was I started asking people, like they would play me a song in my directed study instead of going, well, here's what I'm hearing. You know, I would say, first I would say, what do you think is wrong with this song? What do you think that you would want to work on in the song? Where did you feel uncomfortable in the song? And this was a huge change in the way that I approached teaching. And I still teach Mm -hmm. this way where I go, we'll get into a class and I go, all right, tell me what you know about metaphors, right? Tell me, you know, somebody explain to me what, and so instead of going, I'm going to tell you what a metaphor is. So Mm -hmm. this whole thing of changing the kind of conversation that you're having again to starting with where the person is at because we're making art you know Mm -hmm. it's not learning engineering there isn't a i mean there is technique but it's not a cut and dried one size fits all type of technique it's very subjective it's very subjective and also we don't want to write formula you know i mean it's good to know formula but you can i can teach you formula in in two classes you know Mm -hmm. then what right what do you put in the muffin recipe right it's a muffin recipe it's just a freaking recipe it's this many eggs this much flour but what else? What right. else? Is How do you customize it? Is it bacon? <laughs> yeah. What's the deal? What are, your, right? what are your favorite things? What's your favorite yeah. muffin flavor? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, combinations, right? Yeah. So I think that whole idea of sort of asking a, a songwriter, what do you think? What, before I say anything, what do you think is going on with this song? And they'll usually say, well, I felt like it did. I, you know, I didn't feel like it made sense when I just played it. And I go, <laughs> yeah, where did that happen? And they're like, right here in the pre-course. And I go, right. yeah, that's what I think. Right. So <laughs> it kind right. of shifts the focus to them and then they can kind of like internalize and understand. And, but, by, but it teaches you what that it is. You're, you're right. See, when you have that feeling when you're playing a song and you go, this part sucks, you're usually right. <laughs> it so, does suck. <laughs> so trust that, that. And yeah. fix it, right? The and gut instinct. That instinct is, you know, we songwriters are also super sensitive. If they're not, they're not usually not good songwriters, right? So because they're not, they're like, yeah, here's my song. And you're like, ah, stop it. So <laughs> I think for me, that whole thing of like, well, you probably already know what you need to be working on, right? But I can help people when I go, hey, you've written the same song. I think I did this to you. You've written yeah, the same you song. Let's, I think you're the first one that I made do the spreadsheet where you had to put the, the tempo and the key <laughs> and the topic. 
And yeah. I would make everybody do this comparison because yes. if you have more than three songs in six, eight, you gotta yeah, not no, do that. All anymore. of my songs are in B minor. I've had literal like band members be like, it's kind of interesting that all your songs are in B minor. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's a good place for your voice, but no, also if you true, put but... it in the relative major of that, yeah. you're going to get a whole different vibe. But also yeah. the tempo range, most people are in like, have yeah. a default tempo and, and vary five, five BPMs yeah. either direction. And that means all your songs sound alike, you know? Yeah. I'm still writing the same songs. <laughs> well, that's the, that's one of the hard, you know, the things you don't have to write different songs. Um, and again, well, I, think I would that just it's question like... the whole idea that you have to sort of have a varied but if you want to go open for a national you you need a set that has an up-tempo song mm -hmm. yeah people keep people keep coming up to me and are like i just want you to write a song that i can dance to yes. <laughs> and exactly. i'm like okay well um try. <laughs> maybe listen to some other music <laughs> yeah well there's that's what i mean like at the end you're yeah. the boss you're the authority it's true what you have to say and what you want to say but you were at a college where we're trying to teach you how to be a professional yeah. songwriter it's, it's important different. to it's important to be able to challenge yourself as well i think for me like it's comforting and it makes me feel secure and safe and you know it makes me feel good to write the songs that that are natural for me to write and i think probably most songwriters feel that way but it's like every five or so or however many songs it's like try something different like you know yeah. it's important to write the songs that make you feel good that you feel like you can just be yourself and like let it out and whatever happens naturally is great but um but yeah it's important to challenge songs. practice songs yeah. are good and you just go like a lot of times for me, I would just say, who are you listening to? I'll listen to, um, you know, like a whoever, like a Phoebe Bridger song. And then I mm -hmm. go, okay, what's your favorite thing about this song? <laughs> and then mm -hmm. let's steal that, <laughs> write yeah. a new song, you know? And I yeah. think um, that that is really powerful. And they're like, well, I don't really like this song. And then two years later, like I ended up loving that song and it was, it's one of my favorite songs. And I go, see, you gotta just like yeah. relax a little bit, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's actually my favorite way to write is just to listen to music that I love and not necessarily like steal from it, but just like listen to a song and then write. Channel it. Based on that song. I mean, I, like, I, over I go, I love that chord. I'm taking that chord. I'll yeah. listen, I'll hear some chord and I take it and put it in my song. And nobody has ever said to me, hey, you got that chord from that. <laughs> it's one chord. <laughs> right, because it's one voicing or something, yeah. or it's a note against a voicing. It's just these little yeah. moments that, yeah. because I can analyze a song, I go, oh, she's singing the ninth, she's singing the B minor, mm -hmm. that, she's singing the C sharp, and th that mm -hmm. sounds so cool. So I'm going to do that. And yeah. I think just that little, being able to seize that little moment and sort of turn it into something, it's like, really oh, it's my favorite it's yeah. so important to like learn to do as a songwriter um and learn that it's okay like it's okay yeah. to listen to a song and then write based Get on inspired that song and, i mean sorry but there's no new chords there's no new chords yeah no seriously there's really like, no new idea you know i mean there's only what you have you know what what your perspective is and yeah so i feel like that idea that things have to be original is um or that they have to be somehow something that has never happened before. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's kind of, I think that's, I mean, it is something that never happened before in that particular combination, but I don't think you can say your chord progressions should be more interesting because we've heard this chord progression so much, mm -hmm. you know? It's a little unrealistic. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's I, funny. It's I, I had a conversation with a student today and she had written a bad girl song, right? And I go, I said something like, you know, isn't there, doesn't everybody have a bad, a song that's either called Bad Girl or just Bad Girl? <laughs> Every girl I know has one of those. I said, maybe like, I mean, this is a great version of that song, but some, I do, I do think some ideas are sort of worn out, right? Mm -hmm. um, bad Girl being one of them. I think mm -hmm. maybe just even naughty girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that like that's a challenge. That's challenging yourself to also. It's like a thesaurus. Like how how can you say this in a different way, or like right. how can you use a metaphor to like encompass the same concept? Right. Um. Right. But yeah, it's funny that we're having this conversation because like, 
when I started this podcast, um, I was trying to think of what I should name it. And I ended up naming it songwriting has no rules because my dad, when I was younger, wrote that on a piece of paper and stuck it on the fridge. Cause he's a songwriter and me and my brother kind of, were both starting to write. Um, and it was just hilarious that I went on to literally study songwriting at a high <laughs> level of education. Study the rules. <laughs> like study the rules of songwriting. And well, there um, aren't any rules. Your 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 dad was right. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, I'm I'm doing this. I teach this writing hit songs class in the master's program, right? And it is fast because what we do is we do data based songwriting. So it's like what characteristics are always present in hit songs right mm -hmm. and and there's a lot of things that are always present like you know there's a certain length of time or like number of repetitions that we can tolerate before we get annoyed right and you know the songs can't be longer than x amount because we just mm -hmm. space out and stop paying attention or they can't be about like heady topics because people can't don't really want to think about that that stuff <laughs> or whatever you know and so that stuff is present, but usually in every hit song and every hit artist, there's a wild card, right? And there's a wild card. They break a rule that's that's considered sort of ironclad. They break it in this really intentional, you know, kind of kind of provocative way. And I mean, like thinking about like a song like um, somebody that I used to know, right? Where mm -hmm. you know he doesn't get to the chorus until almost two minutes into the song. It's that total broken rule right but what is he does instead is he has hook and then he has another hook and then he has another hook and then he has another hook and it's like a hook fest you know mm -hmm. and so i think you know we find these ways as sort of it's like break the rule the the rule that you think is the most ironclad is the one that you should break you know because yeah. that's where you get your sort of you know your your difference yeah and people are going to notice those things like you know whether it's, I really it's noticed subconscious it or not. Song. I was like, this song just goes on forever before he gets to the <laughs> chorus. You know, but the chorus was great too. And you probably like listened to it and like very intentionally, and were like, when's the chorus gonna happen? This is cool. What's going on? Like I was I'm like, this being guy just whines for like two minutes. <laughs> like, remember, he's <laughs> yeah. like, you now and then I think of when we were together, and you're like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> but it's so true. Like I, I you know, they always say like, learn the rules so you can break them. And um, that was something that my dad specifically growing up was always trying to encourage me to do like in songwriting and music and, and in life, like understand what the rules are, so that you can break them. Right. And just in a without way that break, feels without breaking everything. Yeah. <laughs> Don't break everything. But, but it's just, I just, I just laugh. And that's how I approach songwriting these days and you know I have all the tools in my tool belt to be able to like you know write a hit song and do all the things and you know I have these formulas that I was taught and that were like ingrained into my mind um through studying writing and now that I'm on the other side of that I'm kind of like you know regressing <laughs> to before I started studying songwriting in an educational setting to like what feels good because I think that, I don't know, it was just such a natural progression for me to like learn all those things and then go back to my roots of like what really ignites my fire. And then those things that I've learned along the way are just kind of like subconscious and I just do right. them without even thinking right. or hopefully. <laughs> um, well, I mean, everybody, you know, the other thing is that for, for a lot of people, those rules feel like constraints that are unnecessary and I, you know again you're the boss of your own songs right it's the <laughs> one place in your life where you're in control of something right and and to me that 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 freedom that ability i mean there was an amazing moment when i was writing songs when i was first starting to write and i told you i wrote a bunch of shitty songs and i started to like my songs right there's there came a point where mm -hmm. I, I started to like them and i remember that feeling and other people still didn't like them like like maybe it's because i couldn't really sing or whatever was going on but i i i did i was still getting like sort of bad feedback from my friends and stuff 
or just like sort of like I don't know I don't really know what you're I don't know what you're why you're doing this or stuff like that right <laughs> excuse me and I basically for a while I felt really self-conscious like everybody's like judging me and thinking you know I suck and then and then I went dude you like it it doesn't matter Mm-hmm. It, you are absolutely, nobody's even paying attention, okay? It doesn't matter if anyone likes it for you. <laughs> unless, and honestly, you wanna, unless you want to make money. And then yeah. it matters because that's when you have to start thinking about their experience. But up until then, you're free. And mm-hmm. to me, that is a kind of freedom that money can't buy. Being yeah. free to do what you want in this world and to make your own stuff and to make it go the way you want it to go. And that's how artists are born and that's how they sustain themselves, you know? Yeah, it's true. And I do think that doing that also can make you money if you are like cool and different and unique and doing something that is different than everyone else. Like that's going to make you stand out. Like if you just continue to do that and be authentically yourself. I think that that's the type of person, that's the type of artist, and that's the type of music that I'm drawn to is something that's not the exact same of everything, you know, that's on the radio these days. Um, But yeah, and it's really nobody else's business. Right. (laughs) Like what you do with your own art. Unless you make it their business by asking them what they think. And so that's the other thing I always say to students is, you know, when they come in my workshop and I teach workshops here, they come in my workshop and they they start to play me some song they already recorded. And I go, are you sure you want me to tell you what I think of this (laughs) song? You already invested $5,000 or whatever. I'm like, let's not do this because you're not Mm going to be happy and neither am I, you know? Yeah, that's good advice. Um, So I'll close out the interview. I asked all my guests um, two questions. And the first one is, what advice would you give to your past self in regards to songwriting and what is advice that you would give your future self in regards to songwriting? I mean, songwriting wise for my past self, I think I would have gotten out of my way sooner, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think my need to be successful and to be approved of, which I definitely have as sort of a structural element of my personality, um, kind of got in my way for a long time it kind of and it still does you know i mean i want to tell myself this now which is <laughs> it just doesn't matter if you write a bad song and if if or if you write 20 it just doesn't matter you know i mean what matters is that you write and you're engaged in that and um but i mean i have had a really happy time writing songs it was my happy happy place it was not Uh, an angsty thing for me, you know? Um, And then for my, what was the other one? What would I, what would I, what advice would you give to your future self, like moving forward in, in songwriting or in like just being a creative person or. I mean, I'm really on, I'm in a personal place of looking for the balance um, that I've never been able to create in my own life. And, you know, a lot of this happened because I watched my daughter have the same difficulty with work-life balance. And um, I, so I'm taking three months off this year and I'm going to Europe and wandering around. That's amazing Um, news. Yeah, because I kind of feel like I've just been doing what, I've been working, I mean, I love what I do. So it's not like somebody who's like, an insurance salesman or something, right? It's not like work per se, but I've just had a lot of trouble stopping um, Mm -hmm. working too much, right? And I'm not, the songwriter, I don't even have time to write songs. I teach so much and I do do a lot of nonprofit work uh, and stuff too. So I teach teenagers and stuff, you know? So I'm kind of um, really trying to get a little more life into my life and a little less work. That's, a little that's more funny. life into my life and a little less work. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I think, yeah, like we were talking before the interview is, I think the pandemic really kind of slapped us all across the face in that regard, no matter where you are in your life. 
um, well, I which mean, is I, like balance, so work-life balance. You know, my daughter is figuring this out at 29 instead of waiting until she's 55, right? And so, and in me, like, I love that she's so light years ahead of me. It's almost like she inherited what I already knew, but she also inherited my workaholism. But I look at the the the, the whole, like, what, what, what was the quiet quitting thing and um <laughs> which oh, yeah. and and the gen zers and everybody's all the boomers are slagging them off and i'm like they're great they've got a handle on this deal you know which is yeah. just like get a life i mean literally mm-hmm. go get one you know make one build one do this do the things all the things now mm-hmm. not tomorrow yeah. absolutely <laughs> that's they my priority for everyone yeah, we have an we have a problem in America that you know you, no matter how hard you work you won't have enough money. So why work? We have at that all? problem in Canada too. <laughs> Is that right? Is it good? Yeah. I don't know. I I idealize Canada as this like. Oh no! I honestly think it's even worse than the states right now. But is that right? Yeah, that's that's just my opinion though. But yeah, I think and and like if you weren't living your life and having experiences just in relation to being creative and being a writer, like, what would you write about? Like, just, you know, working all day, going to work, coming home, sitting at home, like, it's so depressing. How are you gonna gain any inspiration from doing that? Yeah, well, if you're right, if your work is right, but this happened to me when I was a pro writer in LA, and I would go to these sessions, and we'd have, to, it would be like, it has to be a hit kind of sessions, because nobody, you know, wants a song that isn't a hit in in that world. And I remember just being like, I hate this. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it was. It wasn't even because of the pressure. It was just bad. Mm-hmm. It was bad music. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I love I that for you. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm really glad. And and being back in California. Oh, it's so great. Around nature. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm pretty blissed out today. I had a great long swim and went to Pilates. And, mm-hmm. yeah it's so amazing it's there's something pretty... about the west coast my husband is realizing that for sure as well it's like oh yeah where's he from Walmart. he's from massachusetts he's from the north shore he's from newburyport oh, right. right oh newburyport so i love that town i know that's where melissa's I from i mean melissa lived there she had a I house yeah i know <laughs> you ever go to her house um no i didn't i wish i had of but yeah it was funny when we made that connection yeah you i should have... have her on the podcast I know. I actually, she's on my list. Definitely <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, it's such a hustle, such a grind and there's definitely something to that, but living your life is also important. That's it's, great. It's more important. <laughs> it is. It's more important. Yeah. Just existing. Or just fun being with people you love and doing, you know, being in nature, that stuff. It's, it always sounds so cheesy when you say it, but then when you, you know, especially when you get old, like me, you're like, the only thing that matters is other people and, you know, preserving this earth, you know, for yeah. who's coming next. Amen. Well, thanks in, for coming in, on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks really for having me. It was really it. fun conversation.